in high school, as often happens in high school, I had a band trip. And on this band trip, we went all the way from Indiana over to Williamsburg, Virginia first. And as irony would have it, Jenny and I were in the same town. She was working in the governor's kitchen at the same time. We just didn't know each other. <gasps> no, how weird is that? And then from Williamsburg, Virginia, we went up to Washington, D.C. Boom, and we got to see the Capitol building, which is bigger than you think it is. It's just this huge, monstrous thing. And these days, the White House isn't always open for tours, but back then it was open all the time, and I just remember thinking, this is so small. All these rooms are so small. This is like the leader of the free world, and he lives in a little tiny house. <laughs> okay? Uh, but then there's the... There's the memorials. I mean, after you hit the Smithsonian, you hit the memorials. There's the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial. And then there's the memorials that are for all the wars. There's the Vietnam Memorial, which at the time it was built, it was just, you know, amazing and a very tearjerker kind of thing because of all the names that are carved in the black stone. Uh, then there's the uh, Korea War Memorial, lesser known, the guys wandering, and and recently in 2004 i mean how long did that take 60 years 60 70 years to get a world war ii memorial and it took bob dole remember he was the chairman that raised all the money that got the memorial together and so now there's the world war ii memorial and it's this ginormous thing you know the pacific theater and then the european theater they've got like two sides to it and you see these things our town i don't know if you know this so if you're a teenager that's bored this summer I would challenge you, go to the courthouse in Nicholasville and count how many memorials are here in my town. How many do we have? What kind of memorials do we have? And what are they trying, what's the purpose? Why are these things here? Ask yourself those questions. And it's, have you, have, how many of you have ever taken a trip to Washington, D.C.? How many of you? So the lion's share. So you know what it is to visit these memorials. And they're everywhere. They're all over, uh, all over Washington, D.C. This month in June was the 70th anniversary of D-Day. Earlier this month, world leaders gathered in France to celebrate the 70th, can, I mean, can you imagine? 70th anniversary of D-Day. See, I remember my grandparents, I remember my grandparents telling stories about the Great Depression. They lived through it. Um, that's part of why my grandparents got married. Grandpa Vanderpool couldn't find work in Kentucky, so he migrated north to Indiana where there were factory jobs. And he got a job, and he met Grandma Vanderpool there, and they got married. But then he had to go off to war. Um, my mom's dad, same thing, fought in World War II. And so I grew up hearing these stories. These were real stories. My neighbors next door, Mr. and Mrs. Davis, Mr. Davis died three or four years ago, but he was a veteran from the Battle of the Bulge. I know, it was like living history. So I say that to say that the, the, the D-Day anniversary that was this month was different because the number of veterans present were just a little tiny group, and they were all, you know, moving like this. And it was kind of generally recognized that this will be the last anniversary in which there are any living veterans from D-Day. Not so the one, the anniversary that was held 30 years ago on the 40th anniversary. It was a huge group of them. 
And the president who spoke at that one got all teary-eyed and choked up on a story he was telling from one of the vets that were present. It's very different when somebody can remember what happened, which is why we have memorials. Do you know why we have memorials? It's easy to forget. How many of us in this room lived through the Great Depression? Nobody. We don't know how hard that was. We don't know the sacrifice that people went through or to live through World War II and all the recycling stuff that, you know, you couldn't have tin, you couldn't have these certain metals and whatnot. I mean, and everybody had their little victory garden. We don't know what that's like. So it's distant history. And when something becomes distant history, it's easy to forget, which is why in the Bible we have Joshua chapter 4. So if you brought one, I want you to open it to Joshua chapter 4. It's, it's in the first five, six books of the Bible. You'll find it real easy. Boom, Joshua chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be today. Joshua chapter 4 is, uh, and we're going to look at the first nine verses, and then we're going to look at verse 19. So Joshua 4, 1 through 9, and then verse 19. Um, it's easy to forget. It really is. It's easy to forget the sacrifices that are made by somebody in a, great, in, in a great cause. It's easy to forget acts of heroism by a man or a woman when you have large, a large passage of time, a large distance of time. And I would suggest to you that it's actually easy to forget what God has done, even what God has done in your life with enough passage of time which is why, again, we have Joshua chapter 4. So Joshua chapter 4, all right? This is, this is uh, what takes place. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, so if you remember from last week, sorry, I'm going to pause for a minute. When you remember from last week, they needed to cross this river. Only God took them to the river. They arrived at the river when the river was at flood stage. So it's this mile-wide, big, strong current thing, and... Wouldn't you know, as soon as the priests that are carrying this God box, the Ark of the Covenant, step into the thing, the water dries up. And it had somehow miraculously been stopped upstream and timed just right so that the last little trickle of water flows as they step into the river. I mean, talk about God timing, <laughs> okay? And so this miraculous thing has happened. And this is on the heels of it. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, oh, that reminds us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. So here God has given them instructions to build a memorial. This kind of, you know, I know you're thinking, oh, what's the big hairy deal? Well, 
if you go back to the first, say, first five verses, it's not enough just to build the memorial and to have this, this thing. There's a purpose from it. Um, let's go keep going, keep going. Sorry. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, boom. In the future, your children will ask you. So the memorial is meant to be a teaching opportunity. It's meant to be one of those things that a kid naturally goes, what do you have that for? Why is that in the middle of the road? What is this big stone, you know, pile of stones? It's meant to engage family conversation that then caused, gives the parents an opportunity to go, oh yeah, oh, there was this big deal miracle thing that God did long time ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth, da, 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 and we were crossing the Jordan River. You know, were you around then, Dad? No, no, that was like your great-grandpa Ernest, you know, but, you know, so it's meant to have a teaching component, okay? It's not enough just to remember God wants this memorial to be an impetus for the instruction of kids. And another reason that this memorial is put in place is because, I don't know if you've noticed this, God doesn't seem to do big stuff every Wednesday, have you know, like, God does these big things. Prince of Egypt, you know, plagues of Egypt, you know, giving Abraham and Sarah a son, you know, miracles, stuff that's like, well, that shouldn't happen. But it's not like God does that every single week, does he? And because God doesn't do a big thing every week, there's this passage of time that happens between the big stuff that God does. And so he wants a memorial constructed. He wants there to be something physically around that would cause people to go, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, God did this amazing thing. And if you go to verse 19, there's uh, something that if you geek out on Old Testament history will mean something to you, which I do, so you're just going to have to come along with me. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. If you, if you, okay, I'll explain that in a minute. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. All right, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. If you go all the way back to when, they're leave, when they do Passover, it's on the 10th day of the first month that they're spreading blood on the doorposts. And so 40 years to the day have passed, and now they've crossed the river, and they made it into the promised land. So, you know, if you do your calendar stuff, you're like, whoa, that's like way cool. The other thing about this Gilgal is that there's all kinds of Old Testament stuff that happened at Gilgal. When Israel was like, oh, Lord, you know, all the other nations have a king. We want to have a king, too. Give us a king. And God says, fine, even though you're rejecting me, fine. You can have a king, but trust me, it's not going to be all that you think it is. Guess where they crowned that king whose name is Saul? Gilgal. I know. It's where David is welcomed back after the Absalom rebellion. Gilgal, there's a school of prophets that Elijah and Elijah refer to, and guess where they're from? Gilgal. Then, when you get to the book of Amos and Hosea, there's a place that's constructed a shrine to Baal, where they don't worship the Lord, they worship somewhere else. And you know where that is? Gilgal. You're only one generation away. You're always just one generation away from forgetting 
the mighty acts of God and doing what it is that you want to do. And here, this place that had the pile of stones, the, look at what God did. And a few generations later, it's a place where they're worshiping someone other than God. So let me ask some questions. If it's true that there's this teaching component, and we're only one generation away from, in a sense, losing faith, what responsibility do you think you have or I have to the next generation? And then what's one step you could take toward fulfilling that responsibility so that the next generation knows of the mighty acts of God? Let me ask another question. What's, what's the last clear thing God did for you in your life? What is that? Was it, a, was it an act of provision where you really needed God to come through financially, and he did? Because you trusted him? Was it a relationship that was restored or spared? And you prayed and prayed, and everybody looking at you said, no, it's going to play out this way, and it didn't. It played out another way. And you were like, yes, thank you, God. You know, what was it? And then as you're thinking about what that thing is, what could you do to memorialize that act of God? I'm serious. What could you do to memorialize that act of God? I've showed you this before. I have something in my orange office of my house. It's a, dollar, it's a giant dollar bill. It stares at me every time I go into my office. Do you know I have this here? This is a memorial. This is a memorial for me to remind me that I can trust God to meet my financial needs. And more importantly, that I can make right decisions as a leader and not be afraid of the consequences. See, this was way back a long time ago in a different universe when I was another kind of pastor. Uh, I had a run-in with a church member that was not happy with uh, something I was doing and not doing for her, her, her kid. So she got really grumpy, and she made a big deal of how much money she gave. And I didn't know who gave what, you know. But when, I, when she told me, I was like, oh, that's like 15% of the church budget for the year. Oh, you know, crud, we're in trouble. And so I prayed a prayer, and I was like, God, I don't see everything clearly. If I've messed this up, if I'm, if I'm in the wrong, please convict me, because I don't want to blow anything but you judge between us. If I've not done anything wrong, then bring in the money that this person gives. Replace it. And you know, the wonderful irony is that within 35, 45 days, everything that she gave for a whole year came in in 30 to 45 days, and it was extra. And so I have this dollar bill tacked to my bulletin board to remind me, I, one, I can trust God, and two, you know, not be afraid to lead sometimes. So what could you do? I mean, there's things. I know I've got a friend who, in her Bible, she's one of the folks over in Turkey right now, when God does something related to a particular verse in her life, she puts a date off in the margin so that when she's rereading through that passage, she sees that date and she goes, oh, yeah, that's right. In 1989, God, blah, 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 blah. And just the date is enough to remind her. So I just want you to start thinking of ways that you could in a tangible way, remind yourself of the stuff that God's done in just your life, all right? I mean, it's huge, and it's necessary because if we learn anything from Joshua 4, it's far too easy to forget that God can stop up rivers, that God can cause the walls to come tumbling down, that God can do the unexpected, and he can move miracles. It's all too easy to forget that, and just so that 
you know this for absolute sure, I want you to hear from someone else today, okay? So Chris and Jake, would you come up and find seats on here? And I think I'm going to need my other microphone, which I know they have ready. Boom, because they, they roll like that. Uh, but then I never, that is like unhealthy in so many ways. Okay. Uh, boom. All right. And we'll play. So, um, so this is Chris. You all, hi, Chris. This is Jake. Now, you know that they're father and son, but you may not know some of the story of the father and sonness. So, um, uh, Tammy is, we all love Tammy because she's an amazing wife for you, but she's not the first, right? That's correct. Okay, so uh, so you were married before, divorced, and like it plays out in America all the time, it was amicable, and you worked out this great arrangement for the kids, and... That's a nice theory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did that play out for you? Um, well, it played out as a result of some mental illness. Okay. Yep. Uh, I drove down to North Carolina to bring the boys home for summer or would go down there to, to see them at Christmas. Or, and one time when I went down there, they were just gone. She had moved. No forwarding, no address, forwarding address. No nothing. Boom. Yeah. So uh, that's that's not not what you expected. So there was so basically contact with uh, son Jake was gone. Um, between the time Jake was five and the time he was twelve, I saw him twice. Okay. Boom. And then I didn't see him again until a couple of years ago. So during that time. Right? If you pass this to Jake. So during that time, so this, there's this dad that you haven't seen but a handful of times. And so the storyline for mom and the, the expectation that you have of this guy is what? Not knowing him. Um, I didn't really know what to think, honestly. Um, as a kid, I had a, a few memories, of course, of this guy that was really awesome and gave me Mountain Dew. And I was like, yeah, Mountain Dew. But, <laughs> but um, as far as, like, you know, growing older and knowing what to think about dad I didn't really know what to think about that at all uh, honestly what I had been told the entire time was that he's an evil man terrible bad guy did he wore black and had the breathing apparatus Looked like Bane from Batman <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. Darth yep. Vader exactly <laughs> but yeah so I was very much told that he was you know like the most vile repulsive creature on the earth and I don't feel that way at all now by the way <laughs> <laughs> so there so in the last couple of years, though, there was this, not chance, but sort of chance collision. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I had gone for a really long time uh, without knowing, you know, my family up here or anything. And so I guess after I began to realize that my birth mother was, you know, a little bit unstable and she had some problems and stuff like that and the life down there wasn't really you know good so it kind of a few red flags popped up but I kind of just basically came to the conclusion that I wanted to know dad I wanted to know what was up I wanted to know the truth for myself and discover it for myself and so uh, he'd been trying to contact me on Facebook and everything and uh, got his number. So this guy that you didn't know that you had heard for a good lion's share, oh, this guy's bad news. Yeah. Don't talk to him. I mean, he did, he done us wrong. Mm. He's Darth Vader. Beware. <laughs> so you, now you're old enough and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to open the door. Yeah. It was kind of scary. I was, I didn't know what to expect. I, you know, 
the only idea of fatherhood and family that I had up till then was bad and abusive and terrible. And so for me to open that door and say, okay, well, let me try this again was kind of crazy, and I didn't really know what to expect. But I called him up, and he answered the phone, and the first thing that he said was, I love you. And I was like, that's something I don't hear often, you know, because my mother didn't really tell me she loved me. My stepdad, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but he front-loaded the entire conversation with love, and that was something that I was completely unaccustomed to. I didn't know how to handle it. I was just weirded out by it. I'm still actually kind of weirded out by it. Like, he tells me he loves me every single day. They all do. And I'm like, I love you, too. (laughs) And there's this part of you, and you're thinking, what's their angle? Yeah, actually, uh, we were actually just having this conversation the other night that um, I was so used to playing, like, a mental chess game every single time I went to talk to anybody or any time I went to interact with anyone that when I first came up here to visit, uh, they were, you know, being awesome like they are, and I'm, you know, looking at them from the corner like, what are you doing? Are you planning something? What are you, you're smiling at me too much. <laughs> Don't hug me. You're plotting against me, you know? She's a plant. Some kind of stuff. And so, like, it was, it was kind of crazy. And um, adjusting to that, I realized now that my concept of what life was supposed to be and how love and family and all that stuff worked was completely screwed. Like, I didn't have a clue. So, <laughs> but. Glad you opened the door. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to ask Chris, I want to ask you something. So, I, I, and I remember praying about this. You know, I think I might, you know, I might have this opportunity to get reconnected with my son. And your expectation, though, had to be, right? I mean, so you go, she's got custody, up and left, no forwarding address. You kind of get a sense of what she's told him. What, I mean, were you thinking this is going to play out so well? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it would be a lot harder than it has been uh, for Jake. But honestly, when from the time Jake was born until he was five, he was daddy's boy. I mean, hardcore, big time, for real, mental linkage. I just counted on that. I always just, I said, one of these days, one of these days, he's going to get this tug. He's, he's, I'll be back in touch with him at some point. And all I need, all I need is for him to come up here and see for himself. I'm not saying I'm a great guy. I'm, I'm also not what Jake was told that I am. And that's by God's grace. What, what would you want people in the room today to know about God for, for bringing about a reconciliation, you know, a real relationship that you weren't, I don't know how this is going to play out. Pray. Pray. Pray, pray. And then pray. <laughs> and don't ever, it's really, really super easy to give in to the, well, I've been praying about this for so long and I haven't heard anything from God about it. I guess, I guess the answer is no. But this is one situation that the answer couldn't be no. The answer just, for as long as I was alive, the, the answer was going to be pray, pray, pray. And I spent a lot of time really, really mad at God for not coming through. He was, he was in the process. He was working it out so that it would all be the best according to his design. But... Uh, Sometimes God's design seems awfully slow 
and awfully deaf to us. But it's not. It's not. He's working behind the scenes, and then all of a sudden, one day, whammo! <laughs> so, does God still stop up the flow of rivers and cause walls to come tumbling down and move mountains? Yeah, yes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> thank you both. I. It's awesome. My, <laughs> do the fist bump. My my dad prayed for my mom, who had every good reason to be mad at God for the longest time. For my goodness, decades, decades, decades. Okay, so what he's saying is true. You know. The, the Israelites who crossed that river had been in slavery in Egypt for how long? 400 plus years. <laughs> That's a lot of decades. <laughs> okay? And then had wandered in the desert 40 years. So sometimes it takes a while, but I just want you to know today that God still moves mountains, God still stops up the flow of rivers, God still does big things. It just may be that there's the passage of time, a long distance between the big stuff, which is why it's important from time to time to memorialize it.